welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Here we bring some audio color to the videos, posts, and guides on our switchbackkids.com blog. So whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today it's just me. Elizabeth is up in Minneapolis visiting some family this weekend, but fortunately you won't have to listen to just my voice because we have an excellent interview from an employee of the National Park Service who is based out of Washington, D.C., and uh, he wants to note that the interview's opinions Uh, and thoughts he shares are his own, so are not meant to represent the uh, feelings or thoughts of the National Park Service. And without further ado, let's listen in. So Adam, the last time we talked, I was actually interviewing with you over Skype. That's exactly right. I remember it well. Yeah, it was a great conversation, but a little more uh, pressure-packed than this uh, interview for our podcast. So I appreciate you coming back, and maybe now the shoe is on the other foot. I, I definitely feel that way, Cole, and I will do my best to, uh, to meet your expectations. <laughs> and I promise I won't give you a case interview this time, though. <laughs> I, I think they're fun. I would not turn it down. Okay. <laughs> so everybody, our guest this episode is uh, Adam Ranson. He is an employee of the National Park Service, but he has a very unique position within the NPS. So I'm going to let him, and as I referenced, we actually got connected because I'm, as I've shared, in an MBA program right now, and last year I was looking for internships, and this one on with the National Park Service came up, and it was a working for the business side of the parks, and of course, it immediately caught my eye and I had to you know, look into it, ended up interviewing with Adam. And um, you know, then, then after that, I realized what a great person to talk to for you know, our, our next interview episode. So um, without any further introduction from me, Adam, why don't you tell people a little bit about what your, your job and what you do for the MPS? Thanks, Cole. Happy to. Uh, My official title is Management Analyst, and I am a part of a small team of six individuals uh, who uh, call themselves the Business Management Group. We uh, report directly to the Deputy Director for Management and Administration of the National Park Service. And you, you may or may not know that within the National Parks, there are literally hundreds of job descriptions we're, we're an incredibly diverse organization from the perspective of skill sets required to help the parks operate and function normally as they do. And we are actually a part of a functional group that really focuses on the business health of the parks. And in particular, my role as part of the business management group means that I get to be 
a bit of an internal management consultant for the national parks uh, and cross-cutting programs that perhaps service um, all of the parks or those in a particular region. And this is a really fun and, and interesting role to have because it means that I have the opportunity to meet with, work with, support uh, parks, uh, park staff all across the country from the San Juan Islands, from San Juan National Historical Park, off the coast of Seattle, uh, you know, down to, uh, down to Cape Lookout and, um, and all places in between. So we're really fortunate uh, as members of the BMG to get to see this side of the National Park Service and, and do something that's a little out of the ordinary. Yeah, to say I'm envious of your job description is an understatement. But um, I, you know, I was surprised, as I'm sure many people are who are listening now, to hear that the NPS has these types of roles. It's great, uh, but how did you come to know about these opportunities? How did you run across it? <laughs> well, well, like you, I was in a graduate school program when I saw the business plan internship uh, up on our summer intern job board. And I, I took a flyer and thought, you know, this, this sounds fantastic. Um, learned a little bit more um, through some of, the, uh, some of the different resources that the business management group put, put out a webinar in this case and thought, boy, this is for me. And of the many people who applied, I was one of the fortunate individuals who got to spend my summer working at a national park. And with that experience, I learned that I, I love the context of working in the parks, really enjoyed the function of consulting, which really is a collaboration between the client who is the subject matter expert and the consultant who brings to bear some analytical capacity that, that probably just is not resident in the organization because they're busy keeping the operation running on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's a, it was a fantastic opportunity when I was at the National Mall in uh, the summer of 2012. And uh, following that, I worked in management consulting for a few years in the private sector but had the opportunity to come back to the Park Service um, uh, at almost the two-year mark and, uh, and jumped at the opportunity and have, have been so thankful that I, I made that decision. That's awesome. And I think the, the NPS and all the visitors must be too because uh, you know, the types of work that you do is, is crucial. And you know, I'm really excited to explore what that means, that whole business side of the parks that's hidden. And because when we go as visitors, we're obviously looking to get away from it all and, and enjoy you know, the, the natural beauty, the cultural richness, um, history. But it, the fact is that, that the NPS you know, takes um, resources to fulfill their mission. So whether that's people or money, there's a lot of management uh, to make sure we're using those effectively, efficiently. Um, but you also mentioned briefly the, uh, your experience in management consulting. And I remember that you uh, worked for not just any firm, but uh, BCG, Boston Consulting Group. And uh, that was right before you came to your role 
Um, so I think it's really great that, you know, for those who don't know, that is you know, the well, one of the very top firms in the whole country. Um, do very good work, very competitive firm. Um, so it's also encouraging that the NPS is recruiting um, that caliber of employee. So it, it, I think um, I can speak for everybody when we say that it's uh, really good to have those types of people protecting the parks and the NPS mission. Well, I think you might be overestimating me, but I will take the compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so uh, no, it's yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. You know, I just I um, I prior to graduate school, I served in the Marine Corps for over 11 years, and I will say that the the uh, public service bug uh, definitely um, bit me from a very early uh, stage in my in my career, and. I very much enjoyed my time with, with BCG, uh, but found myself drawn to a mission-driven organization like the National Park Service, as, you know, similarly I had found myself drawn to the Marine Corps before that. So the, you mentioned six people. In, is that just in the D.C. office? Uh, we're actually between Denver and Washington, D.C., split three and three, physically, in terms of physical location, but there are there are management analysts really throughout the park service. We just happen to be the group that you might consider the the roving consultants, if you will, who can um, <clears throat> pardon me, um, who can take on project work uh, really across the whole system. So you're the special ops group. Got it. Uh, well, I'm <laughs> the strike force. I, don't, I, so, I just you know. Yeah, I just think that we're we're available there for uh, for the deputy director to to really deploy as uh, as you know, it's it's needed by the service. Right, and I want to hear a little bit about what that employment deployment looks like more specifically because um, is it you know what types of first of all when do you get called in to work at a specific park? Is it because they're having a unique challenge? Is it crisis or is it just you know every so often you go to different parks to see what uh, you know to do one of their um, you know ongoing projects or can you paint a picture of when and how you come in to work with a park and then maybe draw out a specific example absolutely absolutely there are there are two general ways that we find ourselves engaged with parks or programs. Um, the first and by far the overwhelming majority of our, of our engagements occur because uh, park leaders themselves recognize an opportunity to operate more efficiently. And so they come to the business management group with a proposal for a project that we are then able to take on and work with them to, to execute. Uh, so we are definitely not a group that um, that tries to impose ourselves on parks. Really, we're there to support parks. And I mean, honestly, the it's I would say it's incredibly encouraging to see the ideas that bubble up from the field, where where leaders at the front line recognize that they have business questions, they have things they would like to do, and they just need um, a little spare capacity uh, and analytical support to make it happen. Uh, so 
you know, that's really, I think, a testimony to the forward thinkers we have at the front line of the National Park Service. Um, there are other opportunities that occasionally will, will come across our desk, if you will. Those can be cross-cutting issues more at the headquarters level. And occasionally there are times when, uh, when a program that supports the entire Park Service will maybe need a little bit of extra analytical support. And, or, or maybe some, um, some structured thought or assistance. And, you know, those are less common, but those are other ways that we can find ourselves trying to support the larger goals of, of the deputy director. Okay. What is one of the, can you share, one of the more recent projects you've had? Uh, well, um, absolutely. I actually am... Um, just wrapping up a project with uh, a number of parks in southern Idaho, and this is this would be sort of an off-season project, similar to what we would do with the business business plan internship. But in this case, you know, I'm I'm doing the work rather than acting more in the project management role over two interns, um, and we were there because the uh, regional director and uh, the superintendents of those parks. Um, were curious about ways that they could share resources across the park units and operate more efficiently and effectively. And so I worked with uh, two other wonderful individuals from the Pacific West region to facilitate that discussion among park staff and help percolate ideas from within the group uh, that would uh, really promote the most efficient, operate, efficient operating model possible for those, park, uh, for those three parks. Okay. And so which three were they? Uh, it was uh, Craters of the Moon, Minidoka mm -hmm. um, National Historical Site, um, a former Japanese-American internment camp, and ah. uh, Hagerman Fossil Beds. So while they are geographically fairly close, uh, the the resources that they are that they are preserving and interpreting for the public are very different, and right. that obviously was a pretty interesting part of the project to take that into account and to understand that by that very nature, all three parks are going to have different focus, uh, foci in terms of what their operations are trying to deliver to uh, to the public, to the visiting public, and that you know that drives an organization structure, and so you really have to take that into account. Um, and not think that every single park will be a cookie cutter, but rather everyone is special and, and putting the time up front to understand what that means for their operations is incredibly important. So it, I definitely hear what you're saying about uh, putting the time in to really understand you know, the, the operations and for any type of consulting work that's so important to get up to speed and up to speed super quickly uh, on the, the reality on the ground for your clients. In this case, your client is the parks you work with. So can you tell us a little bit about how you do that and uh, how, you know, whether it's specific things you do to get up to speed in the parks, how you learn about them, or even, you know, how you work with the people who are uh, there on the ground? Oh, absolutely. The, I, I usually like to start by, uh, by just making um, 
a few calls and, and asking about people's background, their experience with the park. But the most important thing to do is to go out to the park uh, in person to meet the, the person who's uh, driving the project. Sometimes that's the superintendent or deputy superintendent. Sometimes it's a division chief, so it could be the chief of administration or the chief of facilities maintenance, just as, a, as an example, uh, to, to get in a vehicle and drive around the park and just have free-flowing conversations about what the impetus for the project is, what's the root cause problem that they'd like to address. But in the, in the midst of all of that, learn about what they love about the park by just driving through the park and getting a real sense of what's going on on the ground. Um, you, you just can't replace that. Uh, it's, it's invaluable. It leads to so many insights about, you know, where the constraints are for the park and, you know, what maybe they are dealing with in terms of, uh, in terms of inhibitions that, that are preventing them from moving forward or or just uh, you know places where they see extra capacity being the um, you know being the thing that will produce an actionable plan and will allow them to go ahead and implement the reforms that they know are going to be really helpful moving forward. Yeah, that's uh, that must be so cool to just get to work on such a intimate level with uh, different parks, but not just different parks, the people in them who make them work. Um, and it, how, how is the relationship between you know, the, the different parks to the business side? I, I guess what I'm really trying to understand is how do the different parks see the administration side of the broader NPS? Because they are the people out there on the ground. And sometimes when uh, you know, a larger entity in whatever organization you know, who's over in a, a distant land you know, is trying to guide them, you know, however uh, well-intentioned on what to do, there can be some uh, tension. Has that ever been an issue, or is that just a, a unique? Uh, yeah, are there any unique um, things you run into with that? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, as I mentioned before, each park is unique. They have they have unique uh, goals laid out in their founding legislation, and that you know, as I mentioned as well, that drives their operations, and that that drives the resource needs. And so <laughs> I'm sure that, that park leaders um, would, would offer, you know, probably very polite critiques to you <laughs> about the way that, you know, the way that policy in, at the national level or at the regional level sometimes does not always give them the flexibility that they need to accomplish their mission in the way that they would find most efficient. Now, sometimes there are good reasons for that because I'll, I will just uh, give – I'll give a, a sort of a, a, a vague example of, uh, of hiring authorities. And, you know, we bring on a lot of seasonal employees during the high season because that is when we receive the bulk of our visitors. And so from an operation standpoint, it makes sense that you'd want your labor force to match generally the pace of your operations. Um, you know, however, the Office of Personal Management, OPM, has – 
very, uh, very detailed guidelines for how we can do that, how we can use the different hiring authorities that we've been delegated. And it's important, of course, that we abide by all of those rules and regulations, um, but that doesn't always mean that, it, that, that, those, uh, that those regulations are the easiest for parks to, uh, to, to uh, incorporate into their operating model. And so we get questions like that all the time. Um, and I'll, I'll say we writ large, meaning sort of the Washington headquarters. That's, that's not my actual area of expertise, but I, I can say that my projects frequently uh, impinge on or, or sort of uh, run adjacent to, to these policy questions that we have to find a, an answer within. Um, because unlike private sector organizations, there are, as you know, many rules uh, working in the federal context. And so we have to make sure that we deliver business solutions that still abide by uh, public law. Of course. And, and that, you know, <laughs> that, that always creates, that, that, can, that can frequently create some, uh, um, some difficulties for, for, park, uh, for park staff. But, you know, those laws exist for a reason, and we have to do our very best to operate within those confines. Right. I'm sure parks sometimes feel like they have enough constraints as it is without, you know, that extra layer of, you know, regulation or policy or, or whatever it is. Um, but I want to go into a little exercise here and do something very business schooly. Uh, <laughs> we have a very famous, famous uh, framework for evaluating usually companies called a SWOT analysis. And I'm, I know you're familiar with this, Adam, but for our listeners, a SWOT analysis looks at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for an organization. So strengths and weaknesses are the internal elements uh, and then the opportunities and threats are what is affecting the uh, organization from the outside. So I was wondering if you uh, could give us just a really you know, quick two, three minute uh, analysis of some of these things like, first of all, the, the strengths. What do you see as the strengths of the NPS from your analytical business perspective? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll do my best to be uh, true to the framework, um, but <laughs> the NPS is, is a little different because, of course, the SWOT analysis, you, you normally think about that as a company within an industry. And so if we think of the industry as, you know, Americans' recreation time or their recreation investment, you know, um, we are very unique because the resources that we, we preserve and care for are... Uh, we sort of have a monopoly, you know, there's only one Grand Canyon. Uh, yeah. And so that right there is, is a huge strength. Um, I, would, I would say that the support we have from the public is incredible. And I think that is, that is a strength that we rely on um, very, very much so. Uh, so the, the public constituency that we have is a huge strength for the National Park Service. Um, you know, we certainly saw that in 2016 with the Centennial and the Find Your Park campaign um, that the National Park Foundation led. So on that uh, front as well, or sort of on that point, we have great partners who help us do what we do uh, better 
and, and reach out in ways and serve the parks in ways that the Park Service may not be able to because of statutory limitations. Um, so they, they enhance the uh, Park Service's capability. Um, when I think about weaknesses, you know, I guess I would, I would just talk broadly about challenges that we, uh, you know, that we sort of know and have acknowledged as a park service. And, and one is we are, we are now, uh, you know, trying to reach a generation of digital natives. And, you know, I think that that is a very new proposition. Um, it's a new proposition for everyone, um, but private industry can, can um, be a little more nimble in the way that it structures itself to, to respond to the digital marketplace, if, if you will, sort of writ large and in incorporating digital in what they do. Um, I think that the Park Service is making great headway there, uh, but it's going to take us a little bit longer. And so we are an organization built for centuries not for quarterly, you know, sort of quarterly profit mm -hmm. statements. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that in itself is a bit of a strength, but it does mean that as, as the pace of technological change increases, uh, you know, we're not going to necessarily be, you know, right there, we're going to do our best though to keep pace. Um, you know, opportunities we have are very much around inviting in that, that next group of park uh, uh, park supporters, uh, people who are going to enjoy their public lands and and be advocates for them and, and you know, stewards with the National Park Service um, as private citizens. Um, so that's, I think, always our opportunity. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that I necessarily see any threats for the Park Service. I would say that we have, we also have to think about, though, um, how do we accommodate more visitors? How do we continue to give them um, a top quality experience to improve their experience while also managing the resource and, and preserving it for this and future generations. So I would say that the, the incredible um, popularity of the parks and the visitation we've experienced over the last few years has been a blessing, and, uh, but the Park Service always has those two missions of, of uh, providing for the enjoyment of the resource but also preserving it. Um, so that's, that's always going to be uh, a challenge for the Park Service, and, and it's definitely one that's being brought to the fore now that we are seeing, you know, at year upon year record visitation. Yeah, it's you know, somewhat ironic that the NPS is a victim of its own popularity. Uh, but, you know, we, it's better having that problem than the other way around. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I would I would hesitate to even use the word victim. I think, you know, this is that makes me so happy. It makes me so happy <laughs> that people are are enjoying the parks and their public lands. And I hope that I hope that that um, interest is spread across all of the units of the Park Service. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really a wonderful thing. It's just something we have to uh, we have to contend with. And the people who love parks are, I think, up for that challenge. Yeah, when I think of, you know, the, the, we think of uh, the NPS a lot and just what immediately comes to mind is all of those strengths because it is one of a kind. You know, there's a reason why people from across the world by the millions come to these places. Um, but two things specifically that pop out to me are 
the rangers, the people who work for the NPS like yourself in more administrative or business roles, um, I feel like the NPS can really attract top quality talent because people are really passionate about the mission and just get so much from fulfillment from their jobs. And we saw that over and over during our year of exploring the parks, just how uh, awesome all the people were, especially the rangers we got to interact with. Um, and then the consistency, too. It, that is one thing, you know, we've, since we ended our uh, 59 uh, parks tour in 2016, we've gone to a few international national parks uh, and kind of been expanding our travel. But the thing it's made me appreciate more and more about the U.S. national parks is their consistency because they are, you know the type of experience you're going to get when you go to a national park in the U.S. You know it's going to be an, first of all, amazing natural or historical place, but also that you're going to get top-notch interpretation. It's going to have, you know, the type of facilities that make a, a visit just enjoyable. Um, that's something that I think we, that the NPS, and it's the NPS that allows it to do all that uh, because they, you know, are able to draw out that consistency and make sure all those smaller parks maybe are equipped. Um, and then the, you know, weaknesses too, you, you mentioned you mentioned it, but it does seem like the youth is something that I know the, the NPS is working to draw in younger people. And when in our um, in our trip, that was one of our goals. That I don't feel like you know we. I, I feel really proud of how we were able to share our journey and love for the parks and. Uh, get other people excited too to explore these places and introduce s new places to so many new people. But one thing I think we kind of missed out on was really reaching our millennial generation. And that was a goal going in, but it just proved to be so hard because um, for whatever reason, our generation you know, lots of lots of our generation loves the parks, but it's also not in the same proportions as you know when people get older. So, I know, we've thought about a lot about that. We could probably have a whole podcast just on that topic. But um, one Absolutely. question, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one question I had uh, from you in the uh, the opportunities and threats area is about technology. And I know some people view technology in the parks, whether it's Wi-Fi or whether it's, you know, using some type of, uh, I don't know, virtual reality even, just enhancing the park experience for people in the park or outside the park, you know, miles, thousands of miles away, allowing them to experience it better through technology. Um, is a huge opportunity to draw people in, maybe even the younger generations. But lots of you know pure purists, or you know, I don't want to give people titles, but um, 
just people who really respect the the natural serenity beauty of the parks and go there to get away to unplug um, they you know understandably don't want to they want to protect these places from the pressures of the outside world and a lot of times that means technology so do you have any comments on that and is your work at all that you've done in the past related to technology in the parks? It's not directly related to technology in the parks, but you are hitting upon a question that that the Park Service is asking itself um, right now. Uh, we are definitely thinking about how we integrate and leverage technology in a way that honors the resource, but at the same and complements, I should say, the interpretation, interpretive programs that exist in the parks right now but at the same time, um, don't you know? Don't prohibit those you know park visitors who do come for a really unplugged experience um, from having that experience. So we definitely want to make sure that we are relevant, that we are reaching people and leveraging technology in a way that that is getting a, across the importance, the story of of each park. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're not, uh, we're not creating, um, you know, like a forest of cell phone towers in, you know, name <laughs> your beautiful scenic, scenic park. So it, it's an, it's an ongoing, um, it's an ongoing question. It will probably last. It's, it's probably a generational question, really. Uh, uh, you know, we just happen to be in the first generation that is engaged, that is uh, sort of encountering this question. Um, but I think it's going to be a while before we have it figured out, and technology will always be changing. And so there's also a, a risk to moving too fast and uh, basically integrating a technology that becomes obsolete in a few years down the road. And so I think we really have to take a long view. But with that said, I would, uh, you know, I would love for us to be able to learn more about what potentially will be valuable to the visitor and for the National Park Service as a whole to uh, to start identifying the type of in information, um, the type of data that we may or may not be collecting right now to help us make those decisions in a really informed and strategic way. And so, you know, I think that there's the, the question of what's the right balance, but but really that's fundamentally answered by, well, what does the public value and, and how can we engage them in a way that that will bring them in and make them uh, make them a part of the park story. Definitely. And so I'm curious the with your unique perspective looking at across a number of different parks and having exposure to a number of uh, specific parks. Do you see themes across the parks in terms of uh, you know, we touched, uh, we've been touching on them. You know, they, they are, have been flowing from the strengths and the opportunities. But um, I was wondering if there are any other big themes that you see when you do your work in the parks uh, that, you know, parks are just wrestling with, perhaps. Well, I will I will uh, quote um, <laughs> the uh, superintendent of Badlands, uh, Mike Flaum, and this is a, a common um, 
a common statement within the park service is that, you know, they, they pay you in sunsets. And so, you know, I just <laughs> think that the common theme is that it is what you hit on earlier, the love of those who work in the, in the parks and for the parks for, for these really special resources because of what they say about America and about our people. Um, so that, that really is the theme that I think unifies all of the different parks because they all have very special stories to tell about, about this country, uh, about its history, and about where you know, it potentially goes in the years to come. So is there anything that would help, you know, this is going back to your job now, um, mm -hmm. is there, um, I guess we've, we've touched a little bit on it, but uh, I'm curious, you, know, we, you mentioned earlier the, that you offer spare capacity or, you know, some firepower to come in and tackle these specific problems or just opportunities maybe that parks have. Um, and you also mentioned that you offer the analytical support when people ask. Could you explain a bit more of the analytical side and what uh, you're able to bring as far as the, the analytical capability or the resources or the expertise that you have access to? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we are, you know, sort of starting with the with the, the sort of the most fundamental, you know, product that we provide to parks, which is financial planning. Um, that means uh, going in and understanding their operational cost structure, um, helping them think about how that is aligned to their uh, stated identified park goals frequently, frequently in addition to a, a project that's, um, that's related to financial planning we are there facilitating a conversation among park leaders and, and other staff about what those goals should be. And then it's about identifying their, their financial and uh, non-financial resources and, and helping the two match, you know, building that business case, building that business model for the park so that they have a sustainable operation moving forward. You know, you can think about that as, as uh, really involving uh, a little bit of, of legwork to dig through our financial records of the Park Service, but then also working to understand how operations are affected by visitation um, and things of that nature, and then, and then projecting forward, um, looking at the way that, that labor costs, for instance, are, are probably going to change, um, making common sense assumptions about revenue. Uh, and then, so that would be sort of one way that we, we work, but we also work on more focused projects around, for instance, um, expanding leasing opportunities for parks that have, that have uh, you know, maybe beach houses that they can lease out to the public and putting, building business cases for which houses might be attractive to be brought into that program. Um, I mentioned resource sharing before and and essentially uh, identifying opportunities for efficiencies between multiple park units and their, and their labor force structures. Uh, also, we have been doing more information, uh, excuse me, more analysis, uh, looking at service-wide data, for instance, in the human resources division and, and in the revenue division. And so uh, that's been really, really interesting because we've been 
I won't, I won't claim that we are, uh, we are truly in the realm of big data, but in so much as we have you know, big data in the National Park Service, we're now bringing, um, bringing analysis to those, to those data sets and, and looking at, at uh, you know, quite large data sets and helping, um, helping the Park Service understand trends and where, uh, where it is uh, sort of right now in terms of how its labor force is structured and how parks and regions are using the different hiring authorities that uh, OPM has granted us. And I'm sure the uh, ability to make data-driven decisions and objective, you know, look at things through an objective lens is uh, just as important in the national parks as it is in any private company. But also there is a different element in that I'm sure you face in the parks because people have a lot of emotions when they go to a national park when they work at a national park, um, does emotion or connection of, uh, you know, to a national park, whether it's the natural beauty, the historical context, the cultural, um, does that ever challenge your business decisions because it you know, really runs counter uh, like to uh, a very uh, tough truth that lies in the data? Sometimes, and you know there are there are always opportunities to talk about what the data is telling us versus maybe what someone's perception was um, a priori. So those can you know lead to some challenging conversations, uh, but I've never personally had a had a a, a moment where there was a uh, you know a failure to, um, you know, address the, address the information that we have at hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it's, it's just an opportunity to paint a more accurate picture of the, of the situation that the parks in. Um, yeah. So we definitely, those things happen. I think that they are proof that, uh, that the service the business management group provides is, is actually valuable to the park. <laughs> I think that if, if, if parks knew everything and parks and programs knew everything about how they were operating, then they really would not need us. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe someday we'll get to that point and, and that would probably be ultimately, um, you know, that would just represent a, a new evolution in business sophistication. Um, but I think there will always be an opportunity for an objective, uh, and, you know, sort of an objective outside perspective and, someone to help parks think about where they want to be in the future. And I'm sure that as you know, professionals working for the uh, NPS, the, anybody who, you know, whether it's on the park level or the NPS wide level, it really has, really knows, um, you know, the, the, has the insider scoop, I suppose you can say, on the issues facing the parks or just the, um, you know, the, the data that not all visitors are privy to. So, uh, you know, we just see things as visitors from a very one-dimensional, visitor-oriented uh, perspective. But you all have to really consider, as you mentioned up front, the two missions you have the enjoyment of the public of these natural resources, 
um, but also the stewardship of them for future generations. And then also making sure that you're not just stewarding the, uh, the resources, but the, uh, the, the funds, the people, everything that you, that, that makes the NPS run. So my last question before we hit our wrap up round is um, what are one or two things you think about that most visitors would never even realize or consider from their purely visitor experience perspective? Great question. You know, one thing I think about more and more is as um, areas around uh, some parks become more, uh, more popular uh, to, to live in, I think about the cost of housing for park employees. And that is, that is actually, um, you know, sometimes a problem that bubbles at the surface and becomes pretty important for parks because if the cost of housing has, has risen dramatically around parks, then that means that park staff are sometimes having to commute from very far away. Uh, you know, it means that their housing options might be very limited. And so when I, when I go into a park for the first time, that's usually one thing I ask. I just want to get a sense of, you know, is, is there a general, um, is this, are people commuting from very far away? Is, is, is the workforce a little bit stressed because of just the opportunity for, for affordable housing? Um, that's one thing I think about. But then other things that I think about are, uh, you know, as I kind of scan around, do I see, uh, you know, what's the general condition of facilities? Um, does it look like there are some that, uh, that aren't being used, um, especially if they might be under the purview of a concessioner. And I also uh, really enjoy looking at the concessions operations because I have, you know, I've, I've heard from many park visitors that they don't necessarily realize that, uh, you know, that a concessions operation, and by that I mean, you know, frequently it would be something like a hotel at the Grand Canyon, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but con concessions can be can be smaller operations too, and commercial, um, you know, commercial operations like maybe a raft, a guided rafting tour, um, or uh, or a kayaking tour, say around the Channel Islands. You know, those aren't led by park rangers. Um, you know, usually they are they are uh, led by members of, of private companies who operate because they can offer a service that enhances the visitor experience. Um, so that is, they are private business, they are making money for themselves, and they also are sharing a portion of their revenue with the National Park Service, which, is, which helps our financial sustainability as, as a park service. But I, I, you know, always look at the quality of service they're providing because people don't necessarily differentiate you know they're thinking about their park service or the park experience writ large and not necessarily thinking oh well that person was wearing the park service uniform and that person wasn't so i think about how they're reflecting on us and of course then i think about how the park service employees are are meeting the need and and out there you know supporting the visitor experience too and so those are some of the things that i, that I think about and uh, and really think about the efficiency of the operation uh, writ large when I, when I go to a park. 
Yeah, I find that so fascinating to see it from the other side. Um, so I, I'm, we're getting close to the point where I have to let you go, but really this has been um, extremely interesting for me and I think for everybody listening. Um, but before we go, I have you know two quick questions for you about you know your job and then two about your experience in the parks. So number one, what is one thing you love about your job? Oh, the chance to work with wonderful people in the parks. I, I am so, so fortunate to have met so many incredible people who actually do the work of preserving the, uh, the parks and inviting in the public to learn about the different park stories. So, I mean, that's got to be number one right there. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's the people with, who, with whom I, I get to work. It sounded like an easy answer. <laughs> it, it is. It is. I'm sorry. It's a chip shot. Yeah. So flip side, maybe not so easy, is uh, mm -hmm. there anything that frustrates you or you wish you could change about the NPS? Well, I will, I will you know, say that what I personally um, would like to be doing is to find ways to support more parks with what I and my colleagues do. Um, so I will say that, you know, if anything, I'm, I'm just frustrated with myself because I want to be able to take what we have done already in terms of, you know, that, the projects that we take on annually and figure out ways to allow other parks to leverage that work because, you know, the, the, frequently the questions that we're answering for one park are applicable to many others. And so I, I am thinking quite a bit about how do we make these projects valuable, not just for one park, but for multiple parks? How do we make these projects live um, beyond, uh, you know, beyond the, the particular summer that they, that they uh, or, or off-season that they're enacted? And so when we work with a park like Cape Cod on their leasing program, how do we help the insights around how uh, a park should think strategically about its, uh, its uh, short-term leasing program and apply those insights across the park service to different to to different parks but the ones that have similar business contexts it sounds like you all are kept very busy and uh, maybe you'll need to expand the to a, a seventh or eighth uh, <laughs> in your group in a little in, in hopefully in the next few years um, you know, I would love that. I would love to, uh, <laughs> of course, of course, I would love to be able to do more, do more work for the parks and to, to deliver good work for them. Right. So then on your own personal experience, could you share one magical moment that you've had in the parks? Hmm. Well, I would, uh, you know, I would just reflect on moments that I've had with, uh, with my consultants. Um, I, I sort of mentioned how I, I am the, both an alum of the business plan internship and, uh, and also one who now gets to be the project manager for, for um, the summer interns. And I would say one magical moment that I had in particular was working with my team at Badlands National Park 
last summer and they were in park housing that literally backs right up to some of the most iconic geological formations at Badlands if you're if you're kind of familiar with them you know the 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 vertical pillars of earth that right. have just been transformed into these beautiful you know earthen sculptures if you will by erosion and we were in uh, <laughs> we were sitting at a picnic table in the back of park housing surrounded by some of the most you know gorgeous scenery anywhere in this country and we see a bighorn uh, sheep um, on one of one of these promontories as we're talking about you know we're I think at the moment we were we were sort of talking about and analyzing the labor force at Badlands and you know we just kind of paused for a moment and uh, you know, and as the sun was setting and just casting um, an amber and golden hue on Badlands, we, we stopped for a moment. We just recognized how lucky we were to be doing what we were doing, you know, in the midst of spreadsheets and, and quantitative <laughs> analysis to be, to be doing it there in such a beautiful place. Um, I, would, I would say that is emblematic of, of many golden moments that I've had in the parks. Incredible. That's uh, the reason for it all. Um, it is. So, <laughs> so to end, you know, we always try to share with listeners our secrets and uh, tips and tricks for experiencing the parks. Do you have any um, e- any park secrets or hidden gems that you can share? Just uh, maybe maybe one that sticks out. Oh wow. Well, you know, I could I could point to many um, you know, many places in parks that uh, you know that you may or may not have have gotten to go see yourself, but I'll say that um, you know, two parks in particular that might be a little more out of the way um, for folks but that I highly recommend visiting are uh, San Juan Island. Uh, and also the Channel Islands, um, and so I, I, maybe I'm kind of uh, on an island, island <laughs> top of mind with me, with me right now. Um, but they are both they're both really special places, and they take a little bit uh, a little bit more effort to go out and visit because they are off the mainland. Um, but you have the the amazing kelp forest in the Channel Islands, and you have a really interesting chapter of American history captured in San Juan National Historical Park. Um, but of then, then of course you're in the San Juans, and if you want to also explore migrating whales, you can do that as well. And so I feel like they are both places where there are there is, is appeal for everyone, and you know. I, I only bring them up because, you know, perhaps your listeners haven't gotten to explore them yet, and so I, I thought that they might be interesting to highlight, and I'm not sure if, if anyone else necessarily had that you've got a chance to talk to yet. That's wonderful, and I'm sold, <laughs> for, first of all. And the, on the Channel Islands, have you, which islands have you been to? Because we've only visited Santa Cruz, so when we did that park in you know an episode uh, I don't know some weeks back um, we only had that perspective have you been to which ones have you been to 
Yeah, um, Anna Kappa as well, and okay. we also stopped by San, Santa Rosa. So uh, you know, they are they are all wonderful islands to to get to be able to um, to explore. Uh, obviously, if you can uh, spare the time to do uh, you know a uh, backpacking uh, trip there, and so uh, spend a little time um, doing doing some camping too. I, I think that's a ton of fun. Right. Yeah. I totally recommend to people whenever they go to some place like Channel Islands or Dry Tortugas, both those uh, come to mind, do not just make it a day trip. If at all possible, uh, stay overnight and you will get a whole uh, deep, whole another level of experience when those day crews leave. Um, so that's awesome. I want to go to right, Cole. <laughs> I want to go to the uh, island that has all the sea lions, the just massive amounts of sea lions and their breeding grounds. Is that is that Santa Barbara or is that Santa Rosa? That's a great question. Um, you know, that might be Santa Rosa. Okay, um, but I, you know, don't quote me. That's really uh, <laughs> a, a, that is a that is a better uh, better question for for the the experts at the park. Yeah, and we'll, so we'll include that in our show notes we'll, uh, uh, when we write this up on the blog. So, Adam, I want to say a huge thanks to you for spending some of your time. Um, you know, I know it, it's incredibly busy schedule, and this is a Sunday, so I really appreciate you um, spending some of your weekend with us and sharing, you know, this view that we don't get very much, the business side of the parks. Um, it was fascinating, and um, thank you on behalf of everyone listening. Well, my pleasure. I hope that they enjoyed it, and thank you so much for, uh, for allowing me to share some of these ideas. Thanks for checking us out today, everybody. Really hoped you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. We'll be back soon with more national parks and travel inspiration. So stay tuned to see what's next after we finished our All 59 National Parks series. If you haven't caught up on those, we do have episodes on every single national park in our backlog. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud, or find us on social media at SwitchbackKids. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out.